Okay, I think we're live. It is, let's see, Wednesday, the 17th of May, 2017. And this is the promotional Malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. Hope you're doing well. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this podcast. We'll go for, well, not quite 90 minutes, a little bit less today because I had some tech issues. The settings on my camera changed all of a sudden. I'm not sure what happened there, but I got it to work. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Today we'll talk about, let's see, UFC 211, Bellator 179. There's more fighters bumping they gums. We'll get to that, whatever you really want to get to. And you can do that in the comments at MMAfighting.com where this window is embedded. Okay, okay. Um, I just came from the gym this morning, did some squats, and now I feel like dying. I feel like dying. Okay, but you don't care about that, nor should you. Let's get to these questions. Oh, last thing. If you look now on Twitter at the hashtag chat wrappers, which is where you can send me a question as well. And by the way, you can follow me at L Thomas News. And also, I applied, I applied for re-verification 10 days ago. So I don't know what's happening with that, but be that as it may. But if you look at the, um, the hashtag chat rappers, if you look down there, you'll see I posted a video from Grandpa's Columbia. They gave one of, if you bought a live chat t-shirt, that money was given in part two different ways. The uh, Humane Rescue Alliance here in my hometown of Washington, D.C., which is where I got Barbus, who smelled like dead fish, and I had to bathe him yesterday. And then the other half went 50-50 to uh, a place called Grandpa's Columbia, and the dollar is really strong right now. So um, the money goes really far down there. And if you guys saw it, there's a dog who is paralyzed for life. I mean, the money went a number of different directions just with grandpas. But one of the things that it did was it gave uh, one of those walking wheelchairs for dogs who have uh, no use of their hind legs. And I posted the video of that. The dog's name is Florencia. So you can see that uh, if you are if you uh, check out the hashtag chat wrappers, um, just, just search it or you can see it in TweetDeck or whatever. You can see that video there. So thank you to everybody. And there's the fruit of your, not so much labor exactly, but purchase. All right, let's get this going, shall we? Um, 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 le, 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 le. All right, here we are. First question. Always turns green, typically. Uh, hey, Luke. First, let me thank you for all your content uploaded. No, thank you. Definitely makes working weeks more enjoyable when one has the live chat. Okay, uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, with Luke Rockhold adding his name to a growing list of fighters voicing public publicly their discontent, are we getting closer to a tipping point where even the UFC, uh, even for them, a fighters union could be seen as a benefit with regards to PR, especially at the moment, but also fighters ending their standoff and coming back to fight? Greetings from Geneva, Switzerland. Boy, great question. First one to start off with. I mean, yes and no, right? Like, um, we talked a little bit about that, about this last week, how the old order has been eroded or upended entirely, and um, this is sort of more evidence of it. I mean, I'm, I'm of two minds, really, on this one, to be honest. Um, the first is that, on the one hand, um, no, I don't think this would lead to anything else. I mean, we've seen people speaking up for quite some time now, and what does it really amount to? 
nothing. In fact, I was cleaning out my computer today, deleting old fi files, and I came across the picture where it was like Urebni and Velazquez and Cerrone and Dillashaw and St. Pierre and whoever else there was that day in those pictures, right, with the M double M triple A shirts on. I mean, uh, no, no, it doesn't appear to be the case at all. I mean, here's my sense of things, and this is part of that old order er uh, eroding, and you really saw this magnified by Nate Diaz, namely, there is fighter discontent, and you did have Luke Rockhold sort of suggesting all the fighters at the top of the middleweight division boycott, but as we mentioned, that's not really a thing that's going to happen. What you really see with these fighter discontent issues is it sounds like part of something larger, and I certainly think it could be. But absent someone then taking the next step in terms of actual competent, coordinated labor organizing efforts, what it really just amounts to is somebody complaining in a public way for self-aggrandizement. Now, I don't say that to be uh, mean, uh, far from it. I mean, these guys have to get through the day and through their careers the best way they know how, and I don't think they know, they certainly, I mean, I know they don't know how to form in a collective way for collective benefit. Um, like Voltron, that's not that's not what they're doing here. When Nate Diaz complains about what's happening, there is a a thing you have to notice, which is he speaks about MMA as something where the clock is ticking. You need to get as much out of it as you can, and then get out. It is something to be not looted exactly, but pillaged and abandoned. There is, no, there is no thought about what can we do, what should we do, what obligation do we have to make things better uh, as a general climate. It's merely, I'm going to complain because I see others complaining. I will take advantage of that rising tide of negativity, but what I'm really looking for, what I'm really looking for is just to make sure my needs are met, and once they are, I'm gone. That's really what this comes down to. To get, I, I, I have to tell you, I thought for the longest, be, when fighters started speaking out in a real way, and this is really the latest chapter of it, I thought, man, this is it. This, they're gonna, this is gonna turn into not, this is going to organically evolve into some kind of collection, collective action. And I think that part was very wrong of me to assume. Totally wrong. Yeah, sometimes you guys ask, what ideas have you gotten wrong? I think I was wrong about that. I think all, a lot of the MMA media was wrong about that. Um, to Getting fighter discontent is a necessary ingredient for change. It is not a sufficient one. Going towards some kind of separate labor effort is a pivot from this. You need this to start the conversation and then it has to pivot. And if it doesn't pivot, you know, because someone didn't get involved or because the fighters didn't get together, whatever the case may be, then all this really is about is each individual fighter complaining, maybe as part of a larger collective voice, but only for individual benefit. And I think we need to be very, very careful when we see that. Um, labor organizing is a specific effort done by people who know how to do it. That was the big revelation about um, 
about baseball was that these guys were getting taken advantage of and they hated it. And again, they didn't have a lot of, you know, uh, contractual um, uh, help until Kurt Flood came along. But really, it was people from organized labor getting involved in baseball because the other guys just didn't know how to do it. It's a separate pivot, a totally separate pivot. Now, when you compound that problem with this general impression of the game, because you're not on a team, you know, you're not part of something that has a, you know, you find culturally enriching. Remember, the fight game is part of martial arts, but it's also part distinct as well. I don't know how much guys really want to reinvest in it. Um, and because it's not a team sport, I mean, you train with a team, but you don't compete as one. Um, they don't have, I think, the same collective sense and identity that someone might have if they were part of a team uh, that competes as a team, um, you know, on competition day anyway. So uh, to me, whenever I see this stuff now, it's like it's interesting. It's not nothing. It's definitely something. But it's not the same as labor organizing. It is very, very different. It is very, very different. And it creates interesting conditions, but it doesn't ultimately really move the needle in some kind of direction without some other kind of separate um, action taken by either that party or that and another party together. It, it's it's just for self-aggrandizement, and you should recognize it as such. I'm not bagging on fighters for doing it, but I'm also not going to sit here and tell you, wow, this is, this is the tipping point. Mm -mm, it's not. Now, whether a fighter's union could be beneficial, I think we discussed that last week, not to belabor the point, just very quickly. I, I do worry about the malaise that fighters might experience if there is another example, another apparel deal or television deal signed where they don't get a lot of money, and that is coming up soon. I, if I was the UFC, I would be very wary about that, very wary about that. Another thing to consider, certainly I am in favor, certainly I am in favor of fighter pay being raised. Right, You've got Dustin Poirier, who doesn't really care about the win or the loss, he told me on my show, merely that he wants to get the fight overturned so he could be entitled to his win bonus. That's a failure of a lot of different things, not least of which is his management, everyone's management, where they give in to this win per split. Um, shouldn't do that. Should just get your money up front for the most part, right? Especially if you're a guy who's, in his case, that was his 20th fight in the UFC. If you're 20 fights into the UFC, I don't know why. It's, it's unconscionable that your purse should be split. Separate issue. But here's something else y'all need to consider. Uh, it's not entirely true. I'm not even saying it's generally true, but you might find it more common that as fighters make more money, they participate less. Nate Diaz is a prime example. If he was still making 20K, 20K, uh, maybe you would get to see that Ferguson fight. Um, and you might say, well, Luke Diaz is a separate ca category, both Nick and Nate. Okay, fair enough. They're not the same. But, you know, McGregor's another one. Mayweather's another one. This, as these guys make more money and more money and more money, some don't lose their appetite for competition. Some want to get as much money as possible, and so they stay as active as possible. But what I'm telling you is generally you need to be accepting of a certain condition, namely some fighters, as they make more money, are just not going to be as willing to take certain fights not going to be as willing to fight as often. It's just it's just a reality. And so the UFC is going to have to contend with that in a number of different ways. I don't know what that is. You know, Ryan Bader's got a contract where he's in, he has to fight three times a year because he chose to, 
where it has to be offered three fights a year. I mean, maybe there's something like that. You know, if healthy, you have to compete kind of thing. But um, I, I don't know how they're going to handle that. But it's something else you need to consider as well. So, so <laughs> good times are over, boys. And here we are in our fresh new hell. Uh, all right. Second question. Chris Weidman versus Kelvin Gastelum tune-up. Boy, ain't nothing about that a tune-up. Couldn't be further from a tune-up if they tried. What's up, Blue? Chris Weidman is fighting Kelvin Gastelum. Is this your idea of a tune-up for Chris? It's the exact opposite. I couldn't possibly hate this fight more for Chris if I tried. Wow, I don't get this one at all. I mean, it was a terrible whistle. There we go. I hate this fight. I hate this fight in every way imaginable. Now, let me explain what that means. Does that mean I think it's going to be a bad fight? Like, you'll watch it and be like, well, this is a terrible action of two guys who clearly can't compete at an elite level. No, I don't think that at all. You might actually be a great fight um, in, in, in that sense. Um, and certainly, we know these guys are, are high-quality fighters. So, no, I'm not worried about that. Uh, is it that I'm worried that, um, you know, that there's no benefit to it whatsoever? No, not necessarily, right? If Chris Weidman wins, hey, man, he's back on track, right? You stop the bleeding, and you stop the bleeding against a guy people thought might be the division's future. Uh, conversely, if Kelvin Gastelum wins, you could look at that and say, Jesus Christ, Kelvin Gastelum went from beating a couple of old guys who were good to, uh, you know, the former champ. I mean, this is something spectacular, right? Uh, and, and, and at such a young age and, and competing at a healthy weight, boy, there would be a lot to like there, wouldn't there? That's not what I mean. What I mean is I do not understand what Chris or his management is thinking. I don't get that at all. And it looks to me like, you know how they booked Frankie Edgar against Yair Rodriguez thinking, mm, kind of want to usher this guy out of the division because if he wins and Aldo wins, we're at this sort of intractable scenario again. feels to me like they're trying to do that as well. It feels to me like the UFC is saying, Kelvin's the future and Chris, you're not. Right? Which maybe they're right about that. I don't know didn't work against Frankie and Yair, but it just sort of, it, it lays naked their hand about what they think about Chris's long-term viability, I think, as an elite welterweight or uh, middleweight contender. But that's not even my real issue with this. I cannot understand how you could possibly accept a fight in if you're Chris Weidman under these circumstances against a guy like Kelvin Gastelum. Kelvin Gastelum is the real deal Holyfield. Uh, this is shocking to me. Shocking. Absolutely, totally shocking. Let me let's let's review this, shall we? First of all, how old is Chris Weidman? Just just for clarification's sake, Chris Weidman is thirty-two. That's an old thirty-two. He has a title which he loses to Luke Rockhold in a fight that was neither's best. But Herb Dean, while I think is an excellent referee. No referee is perfect, and not every referee who is even very good turns in a great effort every time. It's just not possible. They're human. They're going to make mistakes. In my judgment, that fight went on way too long. If you go back and watch the Monday Morning Analyst related to that, I think you'll see that as well. We went over that. He spent 30 additional seconds getting banged on in mount that I did not think needed to take place. Sure enough, goes to uh, makes it through, and then somehow... Uh, just gets absolutely slaughtered there going forward. Hated hated that stoppage from Herb Dean. Okay, so he takes an extra beating there, comes back, and gets viciously, viciously KO'd by Yoel Romero. Turns around and takes a fight that was an unnecessary risk 
against Gagard Musasi, which he did not need to take. Looked good early, credit where credit is due. Looked good early, and then started getting tuned up a little bit late there. We all know about the controversial stoppage, but it's not like, I mean, I know he thinks he was on his way to dominating, which is just a major problem that he thinks that. But, okay, did look good early, but did not look good before that fight was getting stopped, okay? Um, and then, no matter what, has three stoppage losses on his career back to back to back. And you mean to tell me, under that circumstance, you're going to take a fight against a guy who has good wrestling, who has volume attack, accurate punching, powerful punching, uh, is healthy at that weight because he doesn't have to cut weight, is young, hungry, and full of vinegar and piss. What? I just don't get it. I absolutely don't get it. And I'm not, I don't, this just seems to me, I don't know if it's Chris's fault. I don't know if it's the UFC's fault. I don't know if it's his management's fault. But somewhere in that salad is just absolute malpractice happening. How can they possibly allow him to take this fight? Is that me saying, I don't think he can win? MMA is crazy. MMA is crazy. Of course Chris Weidman can win. Of course he's an elite fighter. Of course he's got everything he needs, not merely to beat Kelvin Gastelum, but to get back to the title. But at this juncture, to take that kind of a risk, given what he's already been through, seems insane to me insane i don't get it at all i saw this and i was like wow <laughs> wow i i don't get it at all and i know everybody wants to think about hey i lost my position let me take the toughest road to get right back to the top oh i slipped a little bit again let me take another fight to get right back to the top everybody wants to leapfrog off of a loss rather than climb slowly and rebuild. Anytime you see somebody who's willing to leapfrog, it looks to me like someone who's losing at the card table and says, keep saying, hit me. You know, it's what it feels like to me. I don't get, I really, really, really don't get this one. And I hope for Chris's sake, he wins because what if it's four losses in a row? And let's say this one's by stoppage, even if it's a cut, right? Let's just say he gets cut or something uh, over the eyebrow or something. Right? What what about that then? You're gonna have four losses on a row. Think about all the money that was lost. Think about the opportunity cost. Think about the reputational harm. Think about now the hole you've dug yourself that you need to get back out of. You have three stoppage losses in a row. And you take on Kelvin Gastelum. It is shocking. It is shocking. Every time I bring up a fight where or a scenario where I'm like, so-and-so should take a tune-up fight, somebody comes back to me and says, well, not in this one because you don't need to do it. And it's, it doesn't really, you know, they always find some reason not to do it. And then calamity strikes. And then they're like, well, tough titty, said the kitty. <laughs> the milk is all gone. Like, they don't even care anymore. We just want to throw Chris Weidman in the dumpster? I don't want to do that. I think Chris Weidman is super talented. I just think he's hit a rough patch, which is entirely understandable, if not even predictable. Guys can't maintain a super high level all the time. It's not possible, especially when you're a guy like Chris who's had some injuries and other difficulties as well. It doesn't mean he's bad, and it doesn't mean he can't be good again. 
It doesn't mean he can't even be champ again. It means none of those things. But if you're digging a hole, stop digging. I don't get this one at all, man. I really don't. And I really hope I am desperately wrong about the risk that Kelvin Gastelum poses to him. I, 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 I'm not even going to root against Kelvin. Certainly, he is such a nice guy, and I have no issues against him. But there's a part of me that's going to watch this fight through my fingers because I cannot believe everybody signed off on this. Be it Chris, his management, UFC, whoever. Whoever. Shocking to me. Sh absolutely, totally shocking. Of all the things I've seen this year that made me go, this, this might be top of the list. All right. Not, nothing about Kelvin Gastelum is a tune-up fight. Exact opposite. All right. I mean, Maya versus wrestlers. I'm sure you heard on the MMA Hour, Tyron Woodley said he that he matched up best with Maya out of the top 10 at welterweight. I can understand why he thinks that, but I'm not sure if that's the case. At glance, Maya's game is simple. Take you down, take your back, and submit you. However... After watching some of his takedowns and guard pulls, I think there's more to it. Yeah, I did a whole Monday morning analyst on it. I think Maya plays on the instincts of a wrestler to instigate grappling. He's happy to pull half guard to bring the wrestler on top or let the opponent set up a guillotine to make them pull guard or at least think about it for a split second. Well, Masvidal did that one. Not a lot of guys are pulling guard on Demi and Maya, but I know what you mean. This is all he needs to begin his path to the back. I think this anti-wrestler takedown style is more evident in his losses. Anderson Silva's biggest weakness is his wrestling, so he couldn't have those instincts to let Maya get a hold of him. I think Maya is going to exploit this against Woodley and all the wrestling pedigree that Tyron thinks is in his corner will work against him. Do you think Maya's style is catered better for wrestlers, the style he's supposedly meant to struggle against? Okay, great question. Let's make sure this works okay. Yes, it does. Great, great question. Um, so... So, first of all, I would highly encourage you to please go watch two videos. Number one, please go watch the Monday Morning Analyst because we went back and looked at just exactly how is Demi and Maya getting these guys to the ground. It was a bit of a revelatory experience for me. And then, as well, credit to Jorge Masvidal. Check out BJJ Scout's new video on some of the things Masvidal did well in terms of submission defense and his use of the jab to create a number of problems. Or his non-use, even. Um but on the Monday Morning Analyst, it was a big revelation for me. We have talked on this podcast before about some of the responsibilities a striker might have in keeping the fight on the feet when they get pushed against the fence. Namely, you go back and look at, for example, Tyron Woodley versus Paul Daly. What would happen? Daly would get his back up against the fence, and he'd defend. He would stop everything, but he couldn't get his back off of the fence. He was constantly in this defensive position contrast that with what, and I never really got against the fence, in part because of the amazing ring generalship he used, but contrast that with Frankie Edgar versus Jose Aldo too, where Frankie could barely get a hold of him, that there was this separation happening all the time, whether it was sort of a matador and he's moving out of the way or he's limp-legging out of a takedown or whatever the case that is what has to happen. If you can create immediate separation, you you have, I won't say an easy path to victory against Maya. Nothing's ever easy. But that if you can consistently create separation, you have a very, very good chance of beating him as an elite welterweight. Let's put it that way. 
But to the extent that you maintain any points of contact, he will get you. He will get you. He does things completely different. Yes, he will pull guys on top of him. You saw that in the Masvidal fight, and you saw that in the Brown fight. He pulled Brown into mount on top of him because he knows <laughs> your ability to hold mount is you're like the buzzing of flies to Demi and Maya. It's nothing. Okay? In this particular context, what he does every time is he will shoot on one leg, expecting you to go this way because he wants you to go this way. Because as he does that, he's going to dig an underhook and then just slide underneath, almost like a baseball slide, with either the outside leg or the inside leg. If he wants the inside leg, it's to scoop and turn. If it's the outside leg, it's to grab a hold and then double off this way or go backwards. He's got you no matter which direction. You saw it all the time. And you see a lot of guys want to get in behind on like that whizzer. He wants you to whizzer him. Please, by all means, give him give him that whizzer, that overhook of an underhook. Because when you do, he has everything he needs. All he needs is a point of contact, and he will get you. He has his favorite weapon is an underhook on the same side as his foot is going over or his leg is going over your leg. Underhook on the arm, sort of like it's not an overhook exactly, but the overhooking of a leg on the same side. Are we back? I think we're back. Jesus Christ, my life. 
What a stupid career I have. <laughs> I don't even know where we lost. I don't even know where we lost. Oh, my God. I don't even know what to say. I think we're back. All right. Fucking Lord, kill me. Please, God. Let me see where we stopped off. Where did you lose me? I apologize, y'all. I know there's going to be a gazillion thumbs down now. I can't even blame you. I can't even blame you. Just to see where we uh, picked off. Let's see. What was I talking about? One second. We'll get this going. Fucking Jesus. Maya's back takes. All right. Look, here's the point. I'll keep this up so I can see. Woodley gets his back to the fence all the time. All the time. And I I, I favor Woodley in this contest, to be absolutely clear about it. If you're asking Woodley, Maya, I go Woodley. But what I'm saying is he has an unorthodox way to compete. He um, he will do things that you can't anticipate. He is good at maintaining contact. He gets you to react to physically control and push and manipulate him. And that's what he needs. If you had somebody at 170 who had takedown defense like Aldo, lightning quick sprawl, lightning quick turn, and immediate separation, that would be a nightmare matchup for him. But to the extent... There is any kind of point of contact. I'm pressing on his shoulder. He's got an underhook. Something, it's a nightmare. I apologize for the technical problems. If you want me to answer this question in more detail, just email me. All right. All right. What a nightmare. My life is a nightmare. My career is a satire of a career. All right. Sorry to piggyback. Seemed like the right place for this. Does Maya even need to take down Woodley? in order to take his back. It seems as if he can just get him against the cage where Woodley seems to be. He has a chance to put Woodley in a position that gives my opportunities. He's not going to be able to get Woodley down and hold him down, I don't think, in any kind of long, reasonable way like he did against Neil Magny. What he can do is what he did against Jorge Masvidal. Catch some kind of trip, not solidify the um, the finish of the takedown. Right, You can't hold it, but then... As they spring back up, you sink the near hook, you sink the far hook. That's what I can see him doing. I mean, look, he gets everybody's back. He gets everybody's back. So I don't think Woodley can avoid getting his back taken, but he might be able to get it taken late. He might be able to avoid the takedown for the most part. He might be able to hurt Maya so that once he gets the back, he has no real energy, which makes the hand fighting even easier. But, you know, do I think he's going to be able to go an entire five rounds and Without giving up his back at some point, I don't. And I don't think his coaches think that either. But I do favor Woodley to win. I just, everyone's like, oh my God, Woodley's a terrible matchup for him. Woodley has the advantage. He does have the advantage. Especially you saw Maya get tired, you know, 39 years old. going to be really hard, especially with that weight cut, to maintain that kind of constant level of um, takedown threat. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's like, you know, oh, you know, like this is um, Cody McKenzie versus Chad Mendez or something. It's not, that's not what this is. All right. And there's people insulting each other. Reasons that remain unclear to me. All right, here we go. Okay. 
in Jacek's mental game, before the actual question, did Jacek manage to make your personal pound-for-pound pound top 10 or top 15 list after Saturday? She might make top five, man. I mean, I haven't made a list. I'm just sort of thinking in my head. Let's sort of think like Cormier, Demetrius. Maybe you still have Jones in there somewhere. Um, let's see who they got on the list there. That old UFC rankings. Who do they have? So they got Demetrius, Connor, Jose, Daniel, Cody at five. It's a little high, I would say. They've got Joanna at seven. I put Joanna higher than Stipe. I'd probably put him higher than Cody, too. So for me, it might be top five, to be honest, but certainly top 10, right? Easy top 10. Okay, larger question. There's been a lot of really good analysis this week about what makes Joanna such a terrifying fighter. For example, from a recent dead spin, and I took forward the breakdown you hinted at. And I look forward to the breakdown you hinted at in the Monday Morning Analyst. Yes, I spoke to a very famous coach last night about like what exactly, from the most technical perspective, makes what she does unique, original, and terrifying. However, I was curious, as there has been so much focus on Joanna's skill, am I misguided in thinking that what makes her such a dominant force is her mental discipline and presence once the cage door closes? And that one of the main reasons she seems to improve as the fight goes on is that not only is she constantly adapting to her opponent's actions and state, but she is somehow able to do that adaptation within the framework of the strategy they had crafted for that fight. And I hope that explanation managed to make sense. Right, but that's a different... Here's what I would say. Her, um, She plays those mind games, and I think that we let the Asparza fight over-represent stuff. Like, going back on that fight, it was pretty clear to me, and I'm sure it's probably pretty clear to you, that Ioana was uh, totally in command of that fight, right? From the from the get-go, basically. She, she had a couple of right hands, or left hands maybe, but um, but that was her fight to lose. I mean, one judge had a 50-44. We overrepresent that Asparza fight where she, where Asparza just looked like, you know, she was fighting a man or something. Like she couldn't, she looked terrified, you know. Um, and then she follows that up with just, you know, annihilating Jessica Penny. But then it's been, she's come back to earth a little bit more since then, which is totally understandable. I'm not bagging on her for it. What I mean to say is um, she plays these mind games and she handed that paper belt and that's fun and that's entertainment. But is that why Jessica Andrade lost? Is that why Kovalkiewicz lost? I don't think so. You know, is that why Letourneau lost? I, I don't think so. In the end, against those kinds of skilled competitors, it didn't seem to matter much. Uh, you know, the mental intimidation, the mental fortitude. I know it's not exactly what you're asking, and I'll get to that in just a minute, but what I mean to say is Andrade lost because I, I actually want to compliment Andrade. I thought she gave everything she had. I thought she did everything she could. And... um she just came up short. You know, all you can ask, what do you have? Give it. That's what she did, right? It, it was just that Joanna was so much more skilled. I don't want to give away too much from my conversation, but the coach I spoke to said that she has, you know, remember she used to train under Ernesto Hoost. So she started off with a bit of a Dutch style, but always had a little bit more adaptation within it, a little bit more footwork, not as much of a pocket exchanger, right? Really worked behind the jab with movement. And I think what the benefit that comes from that is the coach's point was, number one, she's used to winning rounds. You know, she'll put it on you if you let her, but she's used to winning rounds. And number two, she has she's not a physical specimen. Like, if you ask me who's the most physically talented female fighter, physically, I, I'm going to go with Shevchenko. I mean, you got Cyborg out there, I suppose. But, I mean, among active competitors or something, um, Shevchenko's a beast. 
She has real physical ability. Um, Yajacek has good physical tools, but not exemplary ones. But what she does have is, I think she's nimble, she's quick, she's smart. She's got really good gas tank. So with somebody who's got a style where they can move, somebody who's got a gas tank that enables that movement, somebody who knows they can accurately, quickly strike, disrupt your offensive rhythm and get out of the way before the real harm comes, as that matures over the course of a fight through round after round, this confidence just begins to build and build and build. She might play the mind games to get some kind of an advantage at the beginning of the contest if there's one to get, but sometimes there's not. Kovalkiewicz didn't buy that at all, you know? Um, Andrade didn't buy she didn't. She didn't care. It didn't matter. But what ma did matter in the end was the jab, the footwork, the movement, the great cardio that enabled and an, an underwrote all of that. And then as she got more comfortable in there, it just brought her game to a higher state of its own life. I think that's where she really takes confidence. She knows that she's a round fighter and that she can win rounds, and she can win rounds because she has the technical know-how better than her contemporaries to get her offense off, disrupt yours, and then get out of the way and restart the whole equation for as long as the fight needs to be done on those terms. And I think that's 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 real security, man. That's real security. All right. So it says, she's my pound-for-pound pound number two behind DJ. Hmm, that seems a little high, but there might be a debate for that. Someone says, Jones needs to rematch Gus to go second for me. A little strange, but hey, what are you going to do? Uh, Mike Goldberg in every promo. What's up, Luke? I find it really funny that the UFC couldn't wait to get rid of Mike Goldberg, but in every single promo that is run, all you hear is his voice. Do you think the UFC is compensating him? for this. I don't think so. If you're an employee and you turn in a bunch of work, right? These voiceovers for X event or Y event, they own the rights that they keep it. I don't, it's not like music royalties with an artist where they play your song, they got to give you a cut of it. They, they, uh, they own the content to begin with. Um, he just provided it for him. So, I mean, it probably sucks for him to hear that, but you know, to hear his voice, uh, all the time, but I don't think he had a deal where, you know, every time you use my my voice, I get like you know, fifty bucks or something. No, it, it they, they own it, and uh, he just has to hear it. Dana, let me make sure this thing is still working because you just never know these days. Fucking Comcast. Good lord! All right, Dana White's future. This is interesting. When I was reading the exchange between Rockhold and Dana, it felt so ominous for Dana. In every mob film, there's one small event that seems inconsequential at first, but then plays a big part in the fall of the protagonist, and this Twitter beef left the impression on me. You had an active fighter explicitly retaliating to the boss publicly with no fear. Other fighters will see this and realize there's not much Dana can do if he doesn't want you going to a competitor. Very true although he can sort of make life miserable for you here. The shift of power to the fighters, especially top-tier ones like Rockhold and new owners whose relationship with Dana is purely professional, makes me feel his days as the Maverick promoter are numbered. No, his days as the Maverick promoter are over, and they have been over since that fighter lawsuit. Do you agree that he may have to change his ways or face being pushed away? I'm actually, okay, here's the thing. I don't think it's a bad question. I want to be clear about that. It's a surprising question. Guys, the change is already over. There might be additional changes happening, 
But that shift already happened. When he stopped doing scrums, it's not because he stopped doing scrums that everything changed. It's that um, it's that he stopped doing. In other words, it wasn't the act of oh, I'm not going to do any scrums anymore. Oh my god, everything's changed. No, no, no. He stopped doing scrums because things had already changed. Right? That fighter lawsuit was a game changer. <laughs> they may not win a. They may not win at all. They may not win anything. They may get this thing thrown out at some point. I, I don't know what's going to happen with this fighter lawsuit. Hit up Paul Gift on Twitter at MMA Analytics. He'll tell you more than I could ever possibly. But here's what I do know. That lawsuit weaponized Dana White's own rogue sense of promoter self against him. That is what it did. It fundamentally altered everything about how he promotes. And I know he used this excuse at the time uh, well, the MMA media twist my words. I'm gonna go to them. I'll just go to the real media. It's not why he did that. I mean, I'm sure he wants. To, I mean, look, I'm sure he's a busy guy, and it makes more sense to go to Colin Coward or Stephen A. Smith than it does to me or Ariel, um, because you know those guys have a look. Ariel's got a big audience, but you know, in fairness to Colin, you may hate his guts, but he's got a huge audience, right? Uh, and he's not gonna ask questions that are gonna be too difficult, right? He's going to play ball. Same with Stephen A. Smith. You know, look at that puff. You know, I mean, the guy basically blew Mayweather in the lead up to uh, Mayweather McGregor or Mayweather uh, Pacquiao. So, you know, I mean, he's not, they're not going to, they're not going to put it on him and they got big audiences. But the other component of that is, the, you know, everyone wants to bag on the MMA media, but they were avoided because they were the very ones that would like ask the questions that could potentially cause, um, you know, uh, potential legal issues depending on his response. All those things about celebrating the death of Elite XC and the IFL and the Tombstone, that, that that got admitted into evidence, man. And all those all those interviews where he was like bragging about how good they were and they had no competition, that all got admitted into evidence. And that was the core of who he was. It was this larger-than-life promoter who could go and defy the rules. You know, there are rules to life, right? Or so we thought. So we thought that in life... You know, you got to play a little bit ball in terms of the corporate structure of things. Otherwise, there are costs to be paid. And here comes Dana White and the UFC, and it's this exciting new product, and they're and they're not playing by the rules. And I think there were a lot of people very early on that were kind of blown away by it. You know, they they saw Roger Goodell as and he is as ossified and stayed and and uh, you know uh, you know almost like as as inhuman as a sex robot. And then here comes the UFC, including Lorenzo for a time, sort of embracing some of these ideas. Um, he was a little bit more buttoned up, but certainly gave a little bit of fire to the, to uh, you know that 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 culture that they had. That was you know it was it was corporate, but it was it was you know rough and tumble at the same time. And and what you find out is the guys like Goodell, they are boring, and like David Stern, they are boring, and they are stayed, and they are ossified. But um, those kinds of actions are necessary to preserve a certain kind of order to keep yourself out of trouble. And so look, this fighter lawsuit may completely go away, but what it showed was that you can't go out there and do stuff like that without there being a bit of a blowback in a concurrent way. And frankly, I, you know, I'm not even sure the UFC are, I think what white did at that time was really good for the sport, believe it or not, in terms of getting it off the ground and giving it an identity and, and it made it cool, to be honest. I'll give the guy credit. It made it cool because here you had this guy who was, you know, again, half corporate culture, half 
blue collar, salt of the earth fight fan, and it was an unusual mix and it was exciting and different, but it's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable in this world, particularly if guys don't believe they're getting access to a fair share of the resources and they're going to, they're going to weaponize the things you say against you. And that's exactly what they did. So you're asking if like a change is coming. The change already happened. They'll, they'll, they'll never go back to the days before. Never. It will never happen because it is such an extraordinary liability. They can't afford to. This lawsuit, I mean, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. It seems like it won't win, but what if it does? I mean, imagine, imagine the incredible um, impact it would have. Like, so even if they lose here, if they keep doing it, another one will just happen. Um, there's, it's unfortunate to some degree, and maybe you think it's a good thing in terms of you know you don't have the quite the, the freedom to say exactly what you want, but this is the world we live in. You don't. You do have the freedom to say what you want, but you don't have the freedom to avoid the consequences of it, and uh, and that's the world we live in. So, like, I don't. That, so that brings us to today. Now, where are we going? Because it's one thing to weaponize sort of the business arguments you have made about your contemporaries against you. It's quite another to quell what appears to be, you know, a slow moving, maybe ultimately stumbling, but certainly a slow moving insurrection of some sort. Right? How do you how do you do that? Because it used to be that if a guy spoke out against the UFC, like a Frank Shamrock, you know, they were labeled a malcontent who just didn't get it, both by a UFC to some extent and by the fans. Hell, mostly the fans, to be honest. Media maybe have done it too. They, but they were generally by the community labeled a malcontent. And now there are so many of them doing it on so many different levels. If there are this many guys, they can't all be malcontents. How do you deal with that? This goes back to the previous question from the other guy saying, um, would it be better if there was a fighters union for the UFC? I, I know that the rev share portion of that makes it a, a, a non-starter for them. But I am telling you, there is a certain peacefulness, I really believe, and a certain order reestablished that would come from having one. That course fighters are always going to speak out against the ufc blah, blah 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 but they'd have a union they'd have a lot of guarantees it would just make the criticisms i think a lot more hollow um some might stick some might stick real bad but it wouldn't be like it is today where dana white just becomes this front man and this avatar whether he's guilty or not for uh, any number of different grievances that these guys have and maybe maybe look maybe this is chickens coming home to roost about some of their really aggressive practices and trying to get the business off the ground. Now that it's matured, not extending a hand to the fighters in terms of what many would consider to be fair compensation, maybe that's what this is too. Maybe that's maybe they brought this problem on themselves. There's a number of different ways to interpret this. All I'm saying is the change that you're uh, referring to, it, it already happened. It's, it's, it's baked in, and it's not ever going to go back to the way it was. Do you think the purchase contract uh, was Dana remaining on for a set period of time? I believe it was five years. Five years is the deal. Nick Diaz, crazy fight. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm, I'm just not. I'm not. Let's see what some of you guys say it is. Let's see. Someone says Michael Bisping or Tyron Woodley. Those would be fun. McGregor, GSP. Hey, why not? 
what else we got here? Bisping, Woodley, Fedor. Fedor's a fun one. Rampage, sure. Let's do it. Mark Hunt, BJ Penn, Francis Ngannou, Matt Hughes, Tony Ferguson, Antonio Tarver. Boy, y'all are tearing it up. Tearing it up. Yes, it's all of those. How about that? Matt Hughes is another one. Yep, yeah, these are all good. All right, uh, UFC 11, true, false. JDS never fights for a UFC title again. I'm going to... I think it's actually true, but in the interest of hedging myself, I'll say it's false. But I mostly think it's true, to be honest. Joanna uh, will successfully defend her belt at least three more times. True. Frankie Edgar never fights for the 145 title again. I mean, if Holloway wins, I think he will, but... If Jose wins, I don't see how that's possible. Steve Miocic successfully defends his belt at least two more times. True. Okay, Kevin Lee. Did the press conference make him a star? The thing was all over SportsCenter. And do you think he will be fine for the punch? Okay, do I think Texas will find him? Probably not. But I think the, what do you think of the fight? Lee Kiesa. I think it's an incredible fight. Um, it didn't make him a star. I don't think it did that. But what it, oh, fucking hell. There we go. But what it did do was, I think it put people on notice that Kevin Lee is someone to pay attention to. Um, his video did a ton of views where he did like a scrum after the fact. If you look out on different MMA YouTube channels, you can see that like that one did significantly more than many of the other ones. Um, and you know, TMZ is picking up stuff he's saying now and, you know, dressing like Russell Westbrook is, you know, shows a kind of showmanship that I think a lot of people didn't know he had. A lot of people just thought he was a big mouth on Twitter and, you know, maybe he is that a little bit, but he's more than that. I've interviewed the guy a number of times, very smart, very interesting, um, very talented in my judgment. And no, it didn't overnight transform him. But it showed that he could be the, one of the next big names in that weight class. That um, I, you know, I don't know if he's the next Conor McGregor. I'm not sure if there are any. If there is a next Conor McGregor, right? But maybe a guy who who could, if he can keep this up, who could be a person that might be a little more known to casual fans over time. That's certainly, I think, with, well well within his grasp. Yes. All right. Worst DC sports experience. Jesus Christ, what a couple weeks this has been. Heartbreaking dagger, last-minute loss, losing to a dude with a man bun, or just rank incompetence from management. Well, the dagger oh, – I mean, I don't even, I'm not sure what the dagger last-minute loss was because Capitals couldn't even – I mean, the pens hung two on them and they didn't have any response, which is a joke. Um, losing to Olenek is just, I mean, this dude looks like the train man from the matrix revolutions and averages nine points a game. And somehow he hangs 26 on the wizards. Like there is no God. I don't, I don't know how you can possibly believe that there is one with a, with a world like this, this disgusting freak of a human being, um, who is Cochino as hell. And, you know, he has the game of his life. Oh, and then they get first pick in the draft. I mean, you know, there's there is no justice in this world. Always remember that, none. And then uh, never, never believe in anything is my advice to you. 
uh, and rank incompetence for management. Yeah, can we have a worse contract with that loser Mahimi? I mean, on the hook for what, 16 mil for this idiot? You know, it's gonna, and then you, and then you got Gortat, who, okay, defensively he contributes. And he's like, I need to see if it's the right fit, bro. What team are you going to go to that's going to pick you up that's better than this one? Are you out of your mind? Please, you're lucky to be on the squad. You know, <laughs> it's just, and then good job, Ernie Grunfeld. Why don't you give Mahin me more money, moron? All right. After your interview with Herb, do you believe he was right? Well, that means would you be uh, he acted within the parameters that he is allowed to. So I would say that. Right in the fact that the first two knees were legal and the third was illegal. However, it was not an illegal strike thrown with intent. So if you guys missed it in the interview, he explained that. There were three knees, the one that cut him, the one he blocked, and then the one that sent uh, Poirier crashing to the mat. The first two, he said, he didn't count because while Poirier's hands were touching, they weren't weight-bearing, so he can't really say he was down. So those don't count. And then the third knee counted, not merely because his hands were down, but because Poirier's knee was down. So clearly down, boom, ate a shot. All right. Um, I've had a number of people email me being like, the rules don't say it's a weight-bearing issue. They just simply say it's touching. To what extent can a referee inter interpret those rules to mean what he means? I, I need to talk to the commission members because I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. You know, he is he is trying to figure out what it means to have touching, uh, making contact, and uh, I don't, I don't know if what he is suggesting is is is, is fair or not. Uh, right to be a no contest. And it, again, within the parameters of what he's allowed to do, that is an acceptable outcome. What do you think of the fans lambasting Herb? Uh, I don't make much of it. How do we better educate fans and commentators of the rules? Let me go back for just a second. People are asking, like, how do you solve this problem? And there's a couple different responses that are made. Number one, make all knees to the head of a downed opponent legal. I, I certainly understand how that would simplify matters, but I don't see any regulators taking that seriously. Number two, I think the hand-down issue is just should be abandoned altogether is the knee-down. Now, I don't think that would solve the problem, but it's if you're over the back on someone and they're one hand or two down, two hands down, you can't tell. You, can, you might be able to feel their waist slump, however. Now, that wouldn't have prevented what Eddie Alvarez did to Dustin Poirier because he did have a knee down and it didn't matter. But what I am saying is I wonder if that might clarify things a little bit. Knee down, knee not down, you know what to do. The other part is I don't believe engaging accidental versus intentional. What I believe is either you, either you did it or you didn't do it. And what you can do is say, look, it's an illegal knee. We're taking a point. Now I'm going to even look at you and say, this was so bad, I'm going to take two. Or so bad, flagrant, $50,000 fine or $10,000 fine or 10% you know, of your purse or whatever the case may be. You know, some kind of extra penalty after that. But assessing whether there is or isn't a penalty to me after something that is deemed technically illegal, it seems like a disconnect. I don't, I don't understand the logic of that one at all. I, 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 dis, I dislike that immensely. So that, I think, would be a better way of going about doing it. Um, just make it illegal and take a point. Doesn't matter if you intended to do it or not. If you, after the fact, see something like what Wes Sims did to Frank Mir, we just sort of looked over him and stomped him, 
you can assess an additional penalty on top of the other penalty, but there has to be a consequence. And simply a no contest is not a sufficient one. How do we better educate fans and commentators of the rules? We need to have Joe Rogan interview the referee after the fact to hear what he has to say. Or we need another referee on the broadcast to explain what he has to say. What he also told me, Herb Dean, was in that interview, which you can see on my YouTube channel, he said, you know, did he speak to Alvarez and Poirier before the fight and give them a fighter's meeting? Like, okay, this is legal. This is not. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm not looking for. And, you know, go down the line. Yes, he did. He said he would, if, you know, time permitting, he would like to do that with Joe because he has a lot of respect for Joe and Joe has a very difficult job. But um, he thinks that there might be a chance to really help Joe with his job by being able to sit down and give him the same kind of information that he gives to the fighters. Again, none of this will solve the problem, but I think it could make some big inroads. Would you rather wear nothing but rompers for men or cover a WrestleMania live? God. Uh, Jesus, these are both horrible things. Um, I'd just rather die. All right, Stipe's legacy. With Stipe being on this really impressive win streak and equaling the defense record, what do you think he needs to do to, to be in the serious conversation of heavyweight GOAT? I think he needs to either keep beating so many guys that it's in, that there's no contest about it or that he needs some kind of signature win, right? Beat Kane and then beat John Jones or if Daniel Cormier goes up there and beat him too, you know? Um some kind of moment in time where you're like, wow, that is the dude. Because if he just goes in there, I mean, if he goes in there and keeps doing what he, he got rocked by Overeem, but he beat him in the first round, and he beats JDS in the first round. If he keeps doing that and then, you know, goes about his way and is not the sort of like celebrated figure because he doesn't want to really be a super celebrated figure, then he has to do a bunch of that. Versus if he has this moment against this big named opponent and it's this fight for the ages and he overcomes you know there's just drama to it and there's a real challenge that he meets in, in answering the bell and and he wins i think we might sort of then be more inclined to say um you know he's reached something but it just feels like you know, you're beating old guys well J jds is pre-35 but over him is past his prime and and jds to me feels like he can't take a shot like he used to among a number of other problems so well it's a great win i mean let's be clear about it it's it's still. I think everyone is trying to wrestle with the idea that on paper his resume is legit, and it is. But there is this nagging feeling that something is missing along the way, and I don't know what it is. But that's what we're trying to trying to determine. Trying to determine what is missing here. Uh, Rashad Coulter versus Chase Sherman should it have been stopped sooner. I would have been happy with this one being stopped sooner. You know, waiting until a guy completely flops like Crow Cop after getting head kicked by Gonzaga is not my idea of, you know, a perfect stoppage. There was a, when that guy was, I mean, yes, you got to give a lot of credit to Coulter for fighting back, but, um, you know, to take that kind of beating while in survival mode for that long seemed a little excessive to me.
Justin Gaethje versus Michael Johnson. Uh, if Michael Johnson can stay behind his jab and use his quick feet, I think he can win that one. But if he doesn't, if he slacks at all, I, I, I like Gaethje to win. Um, like I said, I don't like Gaethje to win outright necessarily, but you gotta if you're gonna fight Justin Gaethje, you gotta you cannot brawl with him in, in any capacity. He will out brawl you easily. He lives in the brawl. You merely adopted. You adopted the was it? You adopted the. You adopted the shadow. I was born in the darkness. Something like that from Bane, whatever the quote is. He's Bane, man. He's Bane. You can't, you can't, you can't do that with him at all. You have to pump the jab in his face and get the hell out of the way quickly. You have to disrupt what he is doing, like Yinjechek, stick a jab in his face and move. Um, and I think he can do that, Michael Johnson. He's got the ability to do that, whether he will in the end. Is a separate issue. It'll be also interesting to note, you know, let's see, one of those donkeys fighting. Justin Gaethje. Cannot keep up with this. He is fighting 28 years old. He is fighting at the Ultimate Fighter Redemption Finale, which is at T-Mobile. It'll be very interesting to see what size cage they use for that. If it's T-Mobile, they'll probably use the regular size cage. That'll make it better for Michael Johnson. If they use the small cage, that'll be much better for uh, for old uh, Justin Gaethje. Keep that in mind as well. All right. Okay, Dana White's new Fight Pass Tuesday night contender series. So there will be five live fights each week and they won't be exhibitions. The results will go in their pro record. What are your thoughts on this? Will you watch? Okay. Um, I actually have a video coming out about this. I think tonight on my YouTube channel, go check it out. I will say in, in summary, uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think now I need to see what it's actually going to look like in the end. You know, what's it going to be? Um, How's it actually going to work? But the idea of it, I could not endorse more. It is exactly what Fight Pass needed. It is exactly what fans needed. It is what is reasonably possible given revenue structures. And assuming it more or less matches what I think it will be, it is very good for the UFC. Very good. But I got a video coming out about this later, so check that out. I promise. I'll tweet it out. At L. Thomas News, the un, the currently still unverified L. Thomas News. Drinks for donks. What? Look, you have made painfully clear what food makes you a donk or a child molester. <laughs> what drinks are exclusively for the lesser of this earth? Anything shown during a MMA fight. Right. Any ad during an MMA fight is basically something awful, more or less. Uh, video games, I suppose, notwithstanding. But uh, any food, you know, or any drink they show, guaranteed garbage. Just absolute garbage. Like, so, for example, Budweiser. Budweiser is truly, I mean, <laughs> if you're going to drink Swill, right, which is what that is, why not drink a 40? It's got way more alcohol in it. It's because it's got more sugar. Sugar ferments, turns into more alcohol from the corn mash. Uh, why, why would you drink 
Like what? Like there's nothing pleasing about Budweiser. There's no complex. It's the shout outs to Damon Martin. It's the Martian of beers. You know what I mean? There's nothing complex about it. There's nothing interesting. Uh, it's cheap and easy. It's what it is. So if you're going to drink something cheap and easy, you need to get sauced up chilling in the cut, man. Go for the, as my man E40 once said, hurricane. Strong enough to start an engine, man. Go for the hurricane. Go for, go get a tall boy of like Schlitz. Or, I don't know, OE. Right? Just get torn up. But like, if, you, if you're going to drink a real beer, like a good beer, I don't know, let's say Allagash White. Uh, how about, um, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a local beer here. It's actually an IPA that I like on the wings of Armageddon by DC Brow. How about Bale's, uh, Bell's Two-Hearted Ale? Um, uh, right proper down the street from where I live has a beer called Raised by Wolves. These are real beers, right? They have real complexity, and they're made like with craftsmanship. Um, some of them can be, you want a session beer, right, to sip over the course of it. Then drink that, you know. But if you're just like... If you're just going to drink Miller Lite, don't drink Miller Lite. <laughs> drink Hurricane. Get torn up, man. That's my advice. Now, don't drink and drive. That's a bad idea. But, you know, if you're not drinking for pleasure, if you're drinking as a functional effort to, you know, because you can't, it's not possible to drink Budweiser for pleasure. It's not possible. I mean, unless you're the kind of guy who eats McNuggets or something, which, you know, We've all been there, but I certainly wouldn't recommend it as a, uh, you know, a culinary experience. Just get gets cheaper, get torn up, you know. All right, uh, UFC 212. Who do you see emerging victorious at the UFC 212 main event between Holloway and Aldo? I guess I lean Aldo, to be honest. Um, but part of me wonders if Holloway can steal it late, and I don't know how he could. But I'm curious. I'm really curious. You know, can he can he stay out of the way of the leg kicks? Because he takes a little leg kicks. You know, a little too many for my judgment. He Lamas kind of laid it on him a little bit, and if Lamas can do it, certainly Aldo can. So I'm worried about that. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I lean Aldo, but I'm very curious to see what adjustments Holloway can make. If either one gets injured, will the UFC cancel the card? I don't know because the rest of it is kind of nubs. Y'all seen that UFC 212 card? It is. It is not strong. This is the UFC 212 pay-per-view main card. Ready? Aldo Holloway, Gadelia versus Kovalkiewicz. That's a fine fight, but that's not, you know, that's going to headline a pay-per-view. Vitor Belfort, Nate Marquardt, Paulo Bohashinha versus Oluwale Bangbos, or however you pronounce his last name. Eric Silva versus Yancey Medeiros. Then you on the prelim card on Fox Sports 1, you have Rafael Sunsel, Marlon Marais, which is a great fight. Uh, Antonio Shoeface versus Eric Spicely, another good fight. Johnny Eduardo versus Matthew Lopez. Yuri Alcantara versus Brian Kelleher. Then on Fight Pass, Leonardo Santos versus uh, Olivier Aubin Marcier. Vivian Pereira versus Jamie Moyle. Luan Chagas versus Jim Judo. Jim Wallhead's back. That's fun. And then Marco Beltran versus uh, some dude named Alcantara. Okay, I mean you can see there's like there's good fights on there, but I don't know if it's like you know, primo pay-per-view quality. Uh, 
Lamas versus Chan Sung Jung. Are you disappointed this fight is not five rounds? Not exactly. I don't think it needs to be. Who do you see winning this one with a quick breakdown? Oof. Chan Sung Jung is amazing. Um, I thought he would have more problems with Bermudez, but I guess not. I still think Lamas is really tough, but we're going to see. All right, it is 2.15. Let us go to the Twitter machine and see what we got here. Someone says, I had Allagash Trapel for the first time this weekend, and I loved it. That's because it's a real beer. It's a real beer. Um, let's see. Doesn't know. Someone says, I don't know anything about Nick Diaz's next fight. He's just selling wolf tickets. I never told you I knew anything about Nick Diaz's next fight. All I told you about was one particular fight that he got offered. So... Someone's got some listening comprehension issues. Uh, any new information about the Bang fight fixing story? Oh, the one from Korea? No. God, I even thought about that. Uh, let's see. What's your one, one rep max for squat, bench, and dead? Uh, you guys don't really give a, give a damn. All right, my squat is terrible. My bench is pretty good. Uh, my deadlift is probably the best of my lifts. I'll put it that way. I have a plus 500 deadlift. Um, but I do not, I cannot, I do not have a 600 pound deadlift. That's my goal. My goal is before I'm 40 to have a 600 pound deadlift because I don't. Um, I've never won rep max on bench before, but I'm close to reasonably close to 400 and my squat is got awful. Uh, okay. But I'm also tall. Like, I'm still playing with my technique. I have to get a wide... I, my squat stance and my deadlift stance, if I'm doing sumo, are almost identical. I have to get super wide and, and open-toed just to create a hole to drop into. Um, which one UFC prospect's future are you most excited about? Well, I would have said Mirsad Bektich, but that got derailed a little bit. Um, UFC prospect. Huh. Rodriguez got derailed a little bit, too. How about what prospect am I really looking forward to seeing? I don't know. If you're asking me in MMA, it's Tenshin Nasukawa. But I don't know about UFC. And if you're asking me Bellator, it's like Ed Ruth, Tybal Fortune, Aaron Pico. I'm still curious about Dylan Danis, you know. Um, I guess if you want to count her, Mackenzie Dern. Right, because she sort of got a UFC contract, but she's out there doing her thing in the regional shows. So, uh, so I guess Mackenzie Dern, if that's the way you want to go. But even then, that's not really answering your question, you know. Um, let's see. Much like my Toronto Maple Leafs, do you ever expect the Caps to win the Stanley Cup in your lifetime? No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't expect any of my teams to ever win that live in DC. Real Madrid is certainly a different scenario, but that's because the league is set up to help them and Barcelona win, basically. Like, that I can believe they'll win, but DC teams, no. I, I am prepared to never have anything ever. Let's see. Uh... Your career isn't a satire. I spilled a full cup of coffee on my boss's desk today, if that makes you feel better. No, that doesn't mean my career is not a satire. That means your career is also satire. 
LeVar Ball, the only thing Jason Whitlock can tell he is about is snacks. Okay. Uh, we'll let you have the last word on that. With Cody Nolove possibly out for July, what do you think about a DJ Dillashaw matchup? I love it. I don't know how you guys feel about it. How do you feel about and I and I'm and I, mean, and I mean this like I don't know how you feel about it. How would you feel about a Dillashaw Edgar fight at 135? I don't think they'd make an interim title for it, but I if you're asking me just sort of in a plain way which one I find more interesting, for some reason Edgar Dillashaw just feels a little bit better to me. But I think mileage will vary on this one. Uh Okay, here's another one about Jones. Uh, I listened to uh, Daniel Cormier's comments on your show yesterday regarding Jones's drug use and then saw the social media backlash from fans defending Jones's addiction. Outside of a doctor, no one can say with certainty that Jones isn't an addict, but I found this outcry insulting to those who actually suffer from true addiction. Jones has stated several times that he does not believe he has a problem and his cavalier flippant attitude towards his drug use behavior seems to bolster the idea that he is more of a knucklehead than a serious drug addict who needs clinical assistance with his problem. Independent of whether you're a fan of him or not, when can we stop making excuses for him and see what is really going on? Well, I mean, look, I had addicts who reached out to me and said, look, as an addict, they like that Cormier said those things, that you need a kick in the rear. I had other addicts reach out to me and say that they found it to be very disconcerting, the things that Cormier was saying. So there's a split there. I don't know exactly along what lines, but certainly there is a diverse, diverse, uh, diversity of uh, opinions on this matter. The only thing that I thought was a strong argument against Jones was not that it's okay to make fun of substance abuse, because I can see how that would rub some people the wrong way, and including me, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. However, Jones gets out there and is like, I did coke one weekend and beat you the next. It was a great month. Like, he openly brags about it. Um... He doesn't say it in a lamenting, uh, he doesn't lament the fact that he did it. I mean, he does sometimes, but then other times he goes and brags about it. So I don't know how to feel about it. Uh, if you're going to, to the extent you're going to brag about drug use, I don't have a problem with that. But then that wouldn't shield you from criticism, would it? You know, um, it's a complicated issue. Maybe some addicts do that to compensate. It's a difficult matter. All I know is this is what I do know. You got Jones out there talking about his kids. You've got Cormier out there talking about his drug use slash abuse. This one is going to get personal, personal. And I asked him yesterday, uh, and you can hear it on my YouTube channel. I asked him, did you guys talk to UFC about um, um, what your plans are for a media tour? He said, no, they haven't done it yet. I was like, what are you guys going to do if you have to go face-to-face? -face? He's like, there's no way. There's no way we'll be in a scenario where we're face-to-face. -face. It's not possible. I was like, well, I mean, you know, Aldo and Connor did it. They'll find a way. But um, it, uh, this one feels more personal to me than, than any of previous attempt they've had to make this. Because Cormier just doesn't give an F anymore. John sort of also, in a way, doesn't give an F anymore. You know, no more dick pills for me. I've got a prescription for Cialis. Like, it was, we're through the looking glass on this one. And I, I feel like it has made this one more intensely personal than it has been at any point previously between these two. And it was never not personal. It was always personal. It feels like deeply. I mean, they are trying to character assassinate the other guy. 
um, versus undermine their sports and competitive resume or, you know, I'm balls deep in your head is a little bit different than how are you going to explain to your kids, you know, what a failure you are. I mean, that's, <laughs> that is very in your face, you know, very, um, what else? Why is there a ton of talk about Nganu getting the next title shot, but no mention of Derek Lewis? Well, Derek Lewis has that Mark Hunt fight coming up. Maybe if he goes in there and smokes Hunt, that will change. Would a loss to Betch Cohea lead the UFC to cutting Holly Holm? Possibly. Unlikely, but possibly. Please compare and contrast Nashville and Las Vegas as places to visit. Well, never go to Las Vegas and go visit Nashville. This is very simple. Like of all the cities in the world you could visit, Las Vegas should be the last one on your list. There's nothing interesting about it. Which current or former UFC champions do you admittedly think would never win a title? I.e. Bisping. I don't understand that. If they've won the title, how do I think they would never win a title? Oh, did I think they wouldn't win a title? Yeah. Well... It's less about do I think they can win because MMA is so crazy versus did I think they'd ever be in a position to get one. And certainly I didn't think Bisping would ever be in a position to get one. And certainly getting the title shot that he did on short notice, I didn't think it really worked in his favor. So that one did surprise me. But most of the time when a guy wins a title, um, Rashad surprised me a little bit. Um, even Forrest beating Rampage surprised me a little bit. Um, but most of the time if they win a title, man, they're usually the genuine article. Uh, did you hear Herb Dean on Monday? Yes, he was on my show. Uh, bigger disappointment, Wizards or Capitals? Oh, that's easy, Capitals. I mean, the Wizards are trying to deal with dumbass Gortat, a bench that scored... Uh, the Wizards bench scored five points in Game 7. Five. Five. Five points. Five points. I mean... You can say whatever you want about John Wall not showing up in the fourth quarter. That guy showed up all season and and had the winner in game six. You know, maybe that last quarter wasn't his, but the guy to me is incredible and the heart and soul of that team. <laughs> Five points. The Wizards bench has sucked all season uh, and they sucked to a degree that is impossible to suck basically in that game. Five points. And everyone's like, why didn't they play Kelly Oubre? Man, Kelly Oubre sucks. Let's just be real about it. He is not good. And he has an injury anyway. I mean, his plus minus when he's on the floor is absurd. So, please. They just, it, it, the, the Wizards bench is unbelievably sorry. Caps had a good team. They just, the Caps. Um, is Garbrandt being overrated off one great night and has favored the ultimate puppet master? I don't know what you mean by the last one. I don't think Garbrandt's overrated, but certainly he had such a dramatic trajectory with that year he had that capping off in the way he did. There might be a little bit of extra enthusiasm around it. You know, he needs to have a title defense, but I think I would say the vast majority of the enthusiasm about Garbrandt is warranted. Have you heard the Cyborg interview on the Big Brown breakdown? I have not. I have not. Do you think there will be a successful fighters association or union before the next TV deal kicks in at the beginning of 2019. Well, never say never. MMA is crazy. Things change instantly. 
But if I was to bet, I would bet no. Is Maya setting a blueprint for future fighters to follow with his offensive grappling, or is it unlikely to be replicated? Not only is it unlikely to be replicated, it's basically impossible to replicate. Because it's not merely what he is physically doing. It's the emotional and strategic response that fighters get while he's doing it. Namely, they are so terrified of any kind of contact or being even on top of him, and they want to have such a distance from him that they will behave in ways that is unusual. It's not like you could follow his physical movements to a T, but they won't respect you in the same way. He's got this long career in jiu-jitsu and in MMA of just clowning people to the point where people will react differently to some of the things that he does. Uh, Gastelum could find out he is in the middleweight this fight. Arguably could be at 170 and Chris at 205. Possible. Look, I'm not saying Chris can't win. It's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, at this juncture in his career, that seems like an insane risk to take. This is a real question that I'm going to read because it's the dumbest thing I've read all, all day. Do you think lesbian fighters have an advantage versus heterosexuals because of... Actually, let me read it exactly how he wrote it. Do you think lesbian fighters have an advantage versus heterosexual caused by higher level of testosterone? Take a bow, sir. Do you know how this season of Ultimate Fighter is doing? Uh, last I checked, the D it's a DVR show. It really bumps up on DVR. It was hovering, I think, somewhere at or just south of half a million per episode, maybe a little bit less than that. Um, so that's okay. Like I mentioned before, it, so for them to really pull the plug on that, it would have to get really bad. And it's gotten really bad, but I mean like really, really, really bad. They've given up on turning it into some kind of ratings juggernaut. It's got enough ratings to do what they need it to do, and it keeps the UFC brand on TV all the time. It's really what the value of it is. Um, is Herb getting close to Mazagati territory? Not even close. What was the key to Masvidal's rear naked choke defense? Go watch the BJJ Scout video. I assure you he can explain that better than I can. Uh, any verification update? Yeah, there is none. F fucking hell, man. I do not understand what's taking so long about that. Ten days ago, I applied. Ten days. Still says it's under review. So this fighter summit, are the new UFC going to address up peasants as their goal? What's going to happen? I don't know what that means. Fighters have any say on the cut man they are assigned. They do in boxing. I don't know about MMA. Or UFC, anyway. Typically, I think they're hired by the promotion, but I need to... Uh, and licensed by the uh, Athletic Commission, but I need to verify that. Discuss the male romper. Well, that's from Jed. Jed, I'm sure you will wear one. GSP versus BIS being set for October, November, or December. I don't think it's going to happen. At this point, I'm legitimately wondering like, if GSP competes at all. Because you had Faraz Zahabi saying the only fights that make sense for him to take are Conor McGregor or Bisping. Well, the Bisping one looks to be at a bare minimum, if not gone, certainly in deep jeopardy. And Conor McGregor, I mean, maybe they can make that one happen, but I don't know what's going to happen with him, you know? Uh, are DC Sports the Tony Romo of sports cities? 
No, we're more like the Ryan Leaf of sports cities. And then lastly, true or false? Nunez stops Shevchenko. False. Dana White is still within the UFC in seven years. Probably true. Kovalev TKO's Ward. False. Triple G TKO's Canelo. False. Okay. With that out of the way, thank you so much for watching. I am deeply sorry about the technological issues. You can uh, Luke Thomas News for just about everything now. Luke Thomas News at gmail.com, Facebook.com slash Luke Thomas News, Instagram, Luke Thomas News, Twitter, L Thomas News. I just had to drop the UKE. But there you go. Give a follow and a like and an email any which way you go. Be on the lookout for my Tuesday night um, explanation about why I love that so much on my YouTube channel, I think coming out today. So with that out of the way, appreciate you guys watching. Sorry for the technological difficulties. My career is a satire. And until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. Oh, wait, that's my radio show. Sorry. <laughs> I can't keep them straight. Stay frosty.